subscribe on the TV. Give the background noise, y'all already know. I'm in the car. All right? Let me say this, man. I'm getting sick and tired of big gift disrespect in New York City. This nigga takes shots at New York City rappers and an extension New York City. You know, what does that even mean? When you go try to be New York's friend, you get unrecognized. What does that shit even mean? You know, yeah, I understand standing up for your city, feeling like your people is the best. You, you know, Atlanta feel that way. Uh, Texas rappers feel that way. L.A. rappers feel that way. New York rappers feel that way. But every time I turn around and I see Gip doing some type of interview, he taking some underhanded shots at New York City. All right, so the uh, greatest rapper of all time list came out for Billboard, all right, last month. Um, and it's got everybody screaming bloody murder, you know. Of course, because uh, the list is New York rapper top heavy. Okay. Now, there's some omissions from this list. A lot of shit is out of order. <laughs> I would think that the most egregious part of this list is Prodigy from Mar Beat. Bandana P is not on that list. MF Doom is not on that list. Sean P is not on that list. You know. Second most egregious point would be that Nicki Minaj is in the top 10. <laughs> Ahead of Kanye West, J. Cole, and 50 Cent. Yeah. And also Prodigy and MF Doom and other rappers like that. You know? And that uh, Gucci Man, Future, Pusha T and Missy Elliott are on that list ahead of Prodigy. They made the list, but Prodigy did. That's some egregious bullshit. So as much as this list is pro-New York, it's also anti-New York. You know, I even saw T.I. disrespect New York City. And he disrespected New York City through Mob D. Now, y'all know who, the whole Outcast thing. When Outcast came to the Source Awards and said, Atlanta got something to say. And then from that point on, Atlanta got into the game and, and took over, became a, a driving force behind the music, right? Y'all remember that time, right? Okay. Um, they were doing an interview with T.I. And T.I. was talking about, you know, Atlanta couldn't get in. Nobody respected our music. We went up to New York. They didn't want our shit. We, you know, everywhere we went. So we had to make our own lane. But y'all have to understand, that wasn't because New York was hating on y'all. That's because there's regional differences and the music is completely different. And T.I. was talking about, you know, we're trying to get in the game. Nobody respected us. And then, you know, it's like, but New York rappers, all you got to do is be from New York and you get on. You know, and, and we've heard that complaint before. And I agree to a certain degree. Yeah, all the labels were in New York. So anybody that walked into a fucking New York City record label got a record deal. Yes, I, I, I admit that that's what was going on at one point. But that's not New York rappers' fault, right? So T.I. was like, yeah, you know, all you got to do is be from New York and you get on. Look at my dick. What? What the fuck are you talking about? That nigga said, look at my dick. 
Like Raw Deep was an example of a, a group that shouldn't have come out, and the only reason they came out is because they were from New York. That's that bullshit. Because in the time that T.I. and a lot of these Atlanta rappers, the, the big star rappers from the 90s, the times that they were coming up, most of these Jack the Rapper conventions, most of these summer jams, most of these bike weeks and freak nicks and summer breaks and stuff, it was a roster of New York rappers. So I guess a lot of Atlanta rappers showed up and it was nothing but New York rappers, you know, Big and Puff and Mob D and DMX and Jay-Z. So they took this shit a kind of way. Like, oh, it's just New York niggas. We need our own niggas up here. And I totally understand that. I have no problem with that. But to use Mob Deep as a reference, T.I. is tripping. And I was disappointed in uh, Havoc for not mentioning that shit. Because I came across that statement after Prodigy passed. I know if Prodigy would have heard that shit, that nigga would have responded. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, man. Big Gip. Big Gip is on that DJ Khalid shit. We the best. We the best. That's all we talk about. You know? Atlanta rap is the best. Atlanta rap is running the game. We run the game. Nobody got more billionaires than Atlanta rappers. Nobody got more rich niggas than Atlanta. Nobody got more. We produce the most millionaires in the rap game. Atlanta the best. We the best. Um, yeah. Saying that y'all are the richest and y'all have the most millionaires doesn't necessarily mean that y'all are the best. No one would compare the Liverpool talent of New York to anybody in the South or even the West Coast or the Midwest, lyrically. You know? The South isn't known for hard-hitting political and social commentary in their music. Y'all niggas make Laffy Taffy, fucking Nuck If You Buck, My White Team, Lean With It, Rock With It. That don't compare to Fight the Power, the message, and love's gonna get you. Yes, the South sells more records. Yes, they get more downloads and streams. Yes, the South is making more money than most New York rappers. That's because the South makes shake joint music. It makes stripper music, dope boy music, gangbanging and drill music. Exactly what the powers that be want. Trash. The South don't run rap just because they're heads and toes above the rest. No, they fit a purpose. The down South rapper fits a purpose. The design was to stop the New York rappers from making that conscious rap music that teaches and inspires. You know? They had to get the Rockhams, the Nas, the Big Daddy Kings, the KRS-1s, the Chuck D's, the Jay-Z's, the B.I.G.'s, the Cool G Raps, the Prodigies, and the LL Cool J's out of the game you know all those rappers from new york have in common that i just named except for one big every last one of them is either a black muslim or a five percent they put out conscious pro-black music not i'm gonna shoot that nigga i'm gonna kill that nigga i'm gonna fuck that nigga bitch no the music 
shit that was coming out of New York was dangerous. It was too conscious. So they wanted to shift it into gangster music and pimping home music and, and big gift. Guess who's the best at gangster music and pimping home music? You got it, Atlanta. Use the best, nigga. Yeah, you are the best. You are the best at making the destructive music that influences the youth to become strippers and gangbangers. That's why you are the richest. That's why you sell the most. That's why you're getting signed the most. Along with other regional reasons why. See, up in here in New York, in New York, blacks are a minority. What 12, 13 percent of the population in New York? Up here in New York is Indians, Arabs, Africans, Asians, Russians, Irish, Salvadorians. Every race in the world is in New York City. So regionally, we don't have the power to put our tapes and CDs in the trunk and ride around and sell them to our people. We don't have enough record stores that cater to black music to sell it out of the mom and pop store that's local. The southern region is predominantly black. The southern region is warm. The southern region has more festivals, has more events. The summer region has a bigger population, concentrated population of blacks. So a dude like Gucci Man can come outside, put a thousand CDs in his trunk, and ride around to the hundreds of parks in Atlanta, stop at all the barbecues, all of the bike shows, all of the car shows, all of the colleges, and sell their music. Black rappers up here in New York do not have that. Regionally, we do not have that advantage of being the majority or at least being concentrated as the majority in certain areas, like in Atlanta. So, the way the whole game is set up regionally, it's actually set up for the Southern rapper to actually be more successful. Now, I heard what the complaint is amongst these uh, Atlanta rappers. Uh, they say that we are the creation of the Jew. And we were run by Jews. The record labels were all run by Jews. And that's why all of New York rappers got jerked. Don't own none of their masters and none of their work, none of their craft. And all of them are walking around in New York City, broke as fuck like everybody else. That's because they got used and abused by the Jews that were running the game. These record labels. And there's some truth to that. I admit that. That's true. But see, what you don't understand is, you know, to a certain degree, the New York City rapper was a sacrifice. And a lot of times, the starter of a trend is the one that least benefits from it. Let me say that again. Usually, the starter of a trend is the one that least benefits from it. Because you got to go through the outrage. You got to go through the rejection. You got to go through people actually becoming accustomed to it. 
and then it become an acceptable. And by the time something becomes acceptable, the pioneers have retired and they're gone. And they didn't even make any money off of it. And those are some of the founding fathers of rap. That's why you got people like Nelly Mel running around here hating on every rapper that came after him. Because the niggas didn't make no money. And now you got rappers that make more money in one show than Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five made in their whole career. Yeah. If Beyonce made $15 million for one performance over in Dubai, Beyonce, now I know that's R&B, but I'm just giving you an example. Beyonce made more money in that one performance than almost all the old school pioneers put together. Except for like Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow was the real only old school pioneer that probably really got paid for his shit. Didn't get paid the right amount for his shit, but Curtis Blow was that first rapper that really started getting paid. Wasn't doing it for free. Most other rappers for that was doing this shit for free. Melly Mel in particular. Melly Mel has on hip hop after him. Like he's on a lot of people that came after him. And there are a lot of people like myself who are fans, who have been fans, who are still fans of Melly Mel. And to this day, when I see Melly Mel, I speak to him. Melly Mel was wild. You know, there was a there was an episode where he just passed me by. Some of these people that you talk about, don't do that. If anything, show. If you're the best, show. Yeah, 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 yeah. The old cats do get in their fields because now they're sitting here watching these cats make more money in a week. And they made their whole careers and that's not an exaggeration but it's not just melly mel because i even saw grandmaster cast from the cold crush brothers say some wild shit. he said that run dmc messed up rap because them niggas put on hats and sneakers what? where the cold crush brothers was rocking leather jackets the zipper coats the eye patches the feathers the cowboy outfits and the baby diapers they said Run DMC is the one that turned the shit street. I don't know what made this pop into my head, but it did. Um, yeah, even New York rappers haven't gotten along historically. You know, if you go back and listen to the classic critical beatdown by Ultimate Nights. That album, a couple of joints on that album, as well as the lead track, Critical Beatdown, was a diss song to Run DMC. Yeah, they didn't like Run DMC. If you listen to what Cool Keith said, he was like, you can circle back and forth the same old rhythm that a baby can deduct and join right with them. So they were talking about the simple beats and rhyme schemes that Run DMC was using on their first couple albums. And those break beats that were used by Rick Rubin. I mean, hard times, tricky, Rock box almost all have the same beat on it. And, and then you go listen to their song Peter Piper. What did he say? Peter Piper picks peppers and run rock rhymes, but Humpty Dumpty fell down in this hard time. Jackie Nimble, what nimble? And he was quick. That's what he meant by, but the rhymes are pathetic. They think they cope aesthetic. Using nursery terms, at least not poetic. Yeah, I don't know why I thought that, but y'all didn't know. 
Incredible Beatdown by Ultramanetics was about Run DMC. So yeah, New York rappers did get jerked in the game due to lack of ownership. And yes, the Southern rapper learned from the mistakes of the New York rapper, plus the Southern rapper was in more of a powerful position. When it came to signing these record deals with these labels, you know, down in the South, you already got to watch the mold. You already watched what New York rappers did. So you had a frame of reference Southern rappers had a frame of reference on what to do and what not to do. And you don't have Jews down in Atlanta. It's not like New York. New York City has the highest concentration of Jewish Americans than any other place in the world. Besides Tel Aviv and Israel. You don't have a lot of Jews down here in Atlanta. In Atlanta, you got whites. Gentiles, Blacks, and Mexicans. You got three races in Atlanta for the most part. Yeah, you got a little Asians here, a couple of other races here and there, but predominantly Atlanta and Georgia is white Gentile wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, Blacks, foundational Blacks, Black Americans, and Hispanics. That's it. So there wasn't a whole bunch of Jews that owned the record labels that y'all all had to go to. So when you got money in the South, you get your money, you can start your own record label. Cost of living is different. Up in New York, cost of living is enormous. Down South, cost of living, living is almost half. Up here in New York, you get your uh, two-bedroom apartment for, for $2,000. Down in Atlanta, you can rent a house for $1,200. Completely different. So if you got dudes down in the South getting money, getting grip, hustling, dope boys, because we know a lot of the rappers is dope boys. They're in the streets. Rap, for the most part, is street music. Can't deny that. So when you got dudes getting that street money in the Southern regions, it's nothing about that MP. It's nothing to buy that SP. It's nothing to build a little studio. So when you come to the record label and you already got the beats made, you already got the lyrics laid down, the album is complete, you're just coming in there for a distribution deal. Yeah. Southern rappers were in a position to take over the game. Yes, they were. And then you include the fact that New York City rappers make undesirable music to the beats. They don't want to hear nothing about black man is God, the black woman is the earth, that we are the greatest race that ever existed, Malcolm X, William Medallions. Stop being materialistic. No, that's not the music they want pushed to the youth out here. They want you to be a blood. They want you to be a crit. They want you to be a gangster disciple. They want you to be a pimp. They want you to be on OnlyFans. They want you to be a stripper. And that's the type of music that the South provides, Big Dip. So y'all ain't running shit necessarily because y'all the best. 
Y'all are running shit because y'all provide a service. Don't confuse the two. Now, if you ask me the greatest rappers to come out of the South, I would say Scarface from the uh, Ghetto Boys, Killer Mike, uh, Lord Infamous, Three Six. T.I. I would have said Mike Jones. Project Pat. Big Crit. DJ Paul. Pimp C. Lil Wayne and MJG. No, if you're... That's what I put on my top 10. Rappers list from down south. Yeah, Scarface, Killer Mike, Lord Infamous. What I say? T.I. Project Pat. Big Crit. DJ Paul. Pepsi, Lil Wayne, and MJG. Yeah. And after that, I like put Big Pun, Oliver Mitchell. Yeah. Um, Little Chris better than Big Mike. Yeah. Because I ain't never heard nothing of Big Mike. Yeah. So like I said, man, you gotta take a lot of these other things into account, man. The Southern region is where blacks live. It's, it's a bigger population. In the East Coast, blacks are my normal. I, 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 I don't get where he get this shit from. No, the cost of living in the He's South. New York. The weather. Yeah. I like you know, to support year-around yeah. industries. The fear of deep like in, the music though. industry. Yeah, I see. It's kind of hard to really... You know, yeah, the Southern like Rapids set up... Like um, <laughs> <laughs> to, to dominate regionally. I'm sorry. Southern music is party music. It's drill music. It's barbecue and roller skating music. You know, that revolutionary music that was coming out of New York City, that X-Clan, that Tribe Called Quest, that Black Moon, Help the Skelter, Smith & Wesson, Tragedy, Gaddafi, MF Doom, Big Pun, J. Ruta Damager, Cameron, Gangstar. That's Fat Joe for Fat Joe. So what's New York City was Black Bull and Gatekeep out of the game. Rap music took a turn for the worse. Yeah. So while everybody's out here saying this generation of rappers is the worst, this music sucks. All this music is is violent and destructive and antisocial. While at the same time, Big Gip, you screaming that the South runs it. Maybe rap music is in the condition that it's in because the South runs it. No, your family, man. I say he is one that would be able to be a rapper in his earlier days. Yeah. Hold on, I want to get this. No, uh, I want to get this. Who asked this bitch? 
Welcome to the Dark Times channel. Before I chime in today, make sure you go ahead and hit that like button. Please go ahead and do that as well. So recently, Miss Jane Elliott, known for her anti-racism activism, Jane Elliott is probably most famously known for her blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment or exercise that she did on third graders back in 1968. Back in 1968, a lot of people within the dominant society had an issue with Jane Elliott being so outspoken and, you know, having her controversial methods as showing discrimination at work and the effects on discrimination, especially as it pertains to children. That that woman told me to come with a brown-eyed girl, and I'm grateful that you're not teaching any longer and that you're doing talk shows because I would hate to have my child being taught by someone so angry as you are you're obviously very angry and I, I, hostile and i really feel badly about that so jane elliott is somebody you know who deserves her flowers and she deserves to be recognized for years of her anti-racism crusade and activism in the community so she definitely deserves that and so recently jane elliott was in an interview and it was actually on the viral hip-hop news channel um so shout out to them shout out to the viral hip-hop news channel and she was asked a pretty direct question as it pertains to reparations i'm gonna go ahead and play a little bit of the video and then of course i'm gonna come back and chime in how do you feel about reparations well let me put it this way i'm gonna lose most most of your black audience now this way is the first modern human beings that came to this, this continent came from Africa. And the people who are suffering the most from COVID are Native Americans who came from Africa. And so she spoke correctly when she said that the first modern people that came here were so-called black people. Got no problem with that. There's no issue with that at all. And then she backdoors that statement by saying, the people who are suffering the most from COVID are Native Americans. And so y'all notice with Jane Elliott, she almost said the people who are suffering the most are black. And she caught herself. And the people who are suffering the most from COVID are Native Americans. And so Jane Elliott knows exactly how to choose her words. You know, she may be 90 years old, but she's definitely sharp as a tack. She quickly caught herself. She was about to say black. But she changed it. Like I said, Native American, almost like wink, wink, not you blackies, only the red Native American. And so she purposely went out of her way to dismiss the idea of the so-called black man and woman being Native to the Americas. And so for her to do that so casually just lets me know that it was no accident. She did it on purpose. So if any of y'all have read Ivan Van Sertimuk, They Came Before Columbus, you know, if you read that book, he outlines in great detail on how for thousands of years that the so-called black man had already been in America or what is known as the Americas. You know, and one of his main points of interest is, you know, the Olmec heads. And these Olmec heads date back between 1200 and 400 BC. And in these statues, you can definitely see that 
these are Negroid, or what you would call Negroid people. And anyone that tries to argue and say that these are so-called Negro features, for the most part, they're just being disingenuous. It's not even something that should be up for debate. And so I would say the majority of so-called black people are now waking up to at least the idea that a good amount of so-called black people are native to this land. You know, a lot of us have grandmothers and great-grandmothers who told us that we were from a certain Native American tribe. I can remember growing up on both sides of my family hearing my grandmothers name specific Native American tribes that we were from. And as kids, you know, we would laugh at the idea that my grandmother would say that we were Blackfoot Native American. And this is well before Google and all those different search engines, you know, to be able to even verify what a Blackfoot Native American looks like or where a Blackfoot Native American is from. The only Native Americans that were in television and still on television for the most part was the so-called Red Native American. Those are the only Native Americans that were shown on television. And so when our grandmother would tell us that we're Blackfoot Native American or we're Cherokee Indian or whatever the case may be, when we would hear that, you know, we would all laugh at the idea. You know, we would joke about it, saying that, you know, we're Blackfoot Indian because we got black feet. You know, just silly stuff that kids like to tease about. And so we really didn't take it too seriously. You know, for the most part growing up, we were African-American. That was the title that we were given and we were proud of it. You know, we were proud to represent our so-called brothers and sisters in Africa. Like I said, the majority of us are waking up to the idea no, not all of us and not all of our ancestors were captured from Africa and brought here. And that's not based on opinion or how I feel or how other people feel. That's based on firsthand accounts, what Columbus and some of what some of the so-called discoverers said about the original people or about the people that were here on this land when they got here. You know, why would you go to another continent when you already have on the very continent that you're on the very same people that you're trying to go to a whole nother continent to kidnap. You know, it doesn't add up. And like I said, it's well documented, not only by Christopher Columbus, but by some of the other explorers that were here before as well. Not only in writings, but also in paintings. And so like I said, it's not even up for debate. You know, if you want to go by the official documents, only three to five percent of the slaves that were captured in Africa were brought to the Americas. You know, it's a lot easier to carve up the land and give casinos out and free college and no taxation. You know, it's a lot easier to give those benefits out to a few red-skinned Native Americans versus have to shell out land and money and resources to the majority of the people that were populating this continent. It's a lot easier to separate them and divide them up as red Native Americans. And I think allies like Jane Elliott are only willing, and I won't even say willing, are only capable of going so far. After a while, after you know, 60 years of your career, fighting against racism continuously, year after year, day after day, you have to realize at a certain point, racism is not gonna end. Because as long as it continues to be, you know, this enormous wealth gap between so-called black people and the rest of people. Racism is not going to end. And so you're not going to cure any kind of racism with a brown-eyed, blue-eyed experiment. You know, and this is something that even Abraham Lincoln was well aware of. And this is one of the reasons why 40 acres and a mule was promised to every slave after slavery. They said it was going to be damn near impossible 
for them to survive on their own without any resources. You know, you can't just free a group of people that have been enslaved for over 400 years, uh, robbed of their identity, the worst kind of atrocities that most of us could not even imagine. Nobody even knows or has any inclination as to all the atrocities. We have no idea. We think we do, but we have no idea. We have no clue. Some of the books that I've read of firsthand slave accounts on plantations and all the other stories that you never hear about. You know, Roots was the PG version of slavery. And so there's no way a group of people like that are going to survive on their own without just a little bit of help, a little bit of assistance from a government who oppressed you for over 400 years. Strong, healthy men and women. Every resident of the United States is entitled to 160 acres of land. They've got so much of it, they give it away for free. And these are the very people that they had to go to for jobs. These are the very people that they had to go to for government assistance. These are the very people that they were supposed to go to for medical care. You know, so that was the issue that people like Abraham Lincoln and people within his administration foresaw. You can't just free a group of people that have been through the most inhumane experience in human existence. You can't just free people like that without a little bit of assistance. And the only assistance that the United States government gave to the so-called black people was sending troops down during Reconstruction, in which during that time, so-called black people actually started to thrive. It wasn't until the troops were withdrawn you know, we started to see a decline and a shift in the so-called black community. There was no protection for the so-called black men after that. You know, they could literally pick you up, put you in the back of a paddy wagon, and send you to prison to work for the rest of your life. Life! Oh, what the hell you mean? Like, that's my whole thing my dad ever gave me. He's got hell to me. Is there any truth in what this man is saying? What the hell difference does it make? At least the state of Mississippi got 40 years of cheap labor out of the deal. And so the rule is you never give reparations to so-called black people. And so for Jane Elliott to say that the red Native American deserves reparations, she's using the same trick or the same tactic that people within the dominant society that look like her have used for hundreds of years now. And the United States has given the red Native American reparations and casinos and land. And so for her to say those are the people that should bypass so-called black people for reparations, for her to say that, like I said, that's not even disingenuous. She's purposely going out of her way to make sure that so-called black people don't see a dime when it comes to reparations. Her answer or how she feels about reparations is exactly what I expected out of her. I actually would have been surprised, you know, if she was pro-reparations. That would have shocked the hell out of me. And so I think it's going to be a good spot to end. Definitely chime in on the comment section. And until next time, peace and chaos. We have members of the U.S. Senate and U.S. House demanding that the current president of the United States of America send recently banned cluster munitions to the country of Ukraine in this fight against Russia. This is not ending anytime soon, folks. And in fact, we are seeing military strategists say that we expect a huge escalation in the coming months. They expect supply shortages, a crunch in your ability to get the things that you need 
and inflation to skyrocket because of this war. What are you doing right now to get ready? Let's look at a couple of things that are happening in and around our current economic collapse. Here we have in the economy of the United States of America, car repossessions on a massive scale. Now, let me tell you what we are about to start seeing across the country as we look at repossessions, as people are no longer able to afford to pay their car rent. Budget-constrained consumers, they have no choice right now but to purchase used cars, or at least they have over the last couple of years. Now, record high car prices are being combined with a lack of inventory, leading everyday shoppers to make what is considerable questionable purchases. Now we're starting to see something that we haven't seen since the last financial crisis smacked America. A huge increase in shoppers that are coming in with recent repossessions on their credit history or their credit report. Now when these car lots are asking them what happened, they say that they purchased an old car, it broke down, that left them with a repair bill that was just as much or more, something they couldn't afford, and they just let it go to the creditor. Do you know what happens next when people can't afford to repair their cars? Yes, you have it right. They don't make their car payments anymore. Here we have a huge bottom line of what is happening. The average age of used cars on the roads keeps increasing due to the inventory shortage. The majority of Americans in the USA can't afford a $25,000 used car let alone a fifty dollars to $70,000 new car. So what happens? The supply of inexpensive cars continues to decline. 25% fewer used cars on the road versus the 2019 estimate of 2.2 to 2.9 million. This leaves budget-held consumers with little choices other than to go out and purchase older cars that are more susceptible to breaking down. Unsurprisingly, it's now becoming clear that selling older cars results in higher repossessions. Now we have car lots and car agencies saying that this is just the beginning. You're just starting to see the very tip of the iceberg and what you're actually going to see over the next couple of weeks and months is going to be an absolutely huge change in what we see in the economy. Speaking of that, Moody's sees a risk that the U.S. banking turmoil will not be contained. General Mills, the maker of things like YoPlay, Nature's Valley or Nature Valley, and Cheerios, said that they are making huge profits on consumers after they raise the prices on what you pay at the grocery store. Their quarterly profits have increased 20% year over year, which is very nice that that coincides with how much they have increased the prices after they lied to you and told you that this was because of uh, harder to get supplies or because of uh, you know, them having to pay more for raw materials. You know, it comes down to the fact that the great, uh, price hikes directly coincide with their profits. Corporate profits are driving inflation. Now, when you look at the data behind the scenes here, you see that General Mills sold fewer units of every product every single quarter over the last two years. But thanks to increased prices that they told you they had to do, their quarterly revenue went up 15%, $5.1 billion. Don't expect that to change anytime soon. Executives say that they're going to boost their advertising to spur on new sales. That means that they're going to find another reason to raise prices soon. The company is using the boosted revenue to 
send out to all of its investors and all of its executives. General Mills spent $1.1 billion just buying back their own stock. This is the largest corrupt corporate greed that we have seen in our history. Representative Abigail Spanberger has said members of Congress have access to privileged information, information that is not available to you as a member of the public. They say that we as members of Congress have access to information that can make markets move. What do you think that means? I can tell you exactly what that means. It means that they are not only creating the laws that allow them to get rich, they're also manipulating the markets so that when their, uh, their laws are enacted, they can follow suit and make moves in the market. As we are watching in real time, a massive banking corruption unfold and a huge collage of confidence. Actually, I guess it's a collapse of confidence. I want you to remember that credit, uh, that different credit agencies passed their stress test just a couple of months ago. But as we look back in history, we can see that those stress tests that they put on the banks were just part of the lie. I want you to look at this corruption, folks, when I tell you that it doesn't matter whether they call themselves Republicans or Democrats, they're all on the take. This is what I mean. First, California Governor Gavin Newsom lobbied the White House and the Treasury to bail out Silicon Valley Bank. He did not disclose that his own private wineries had reportedly been in the bank's clientele, that he had personal accounts at the bank. As we see from different news reporting agencies, then we are seeing in confirmed reports, Silicon Valley Bank previously gave $100,000 to the governor's wife, Jennifer Seibel's charity in 2021 on Newsom's, uh, Newsom's request. This is all a huge game for their gain. This is them versus you. But if you take a step back and look at everything that is happening, you can see that this is obviously a bailout. Collapsed SVB Bank and Signature Bank have all deposits regardless of their amounts back 100% despite the FDIC's $250,000 limit. Worries are increasing over the polarization risk between systemically important banks and smaller banks not considering their status. Bigger banks are seeing an influx in uh, deposits. As a result, you have different credit agencies given uh, emergency liquidity injections from different national banks and organizations. This doesn't seem to be enough to stop the bleeding, though. UBS, the largest bank in Switzerland, is considering options for acquiring different smaller and larger organizations as they attempt to put a bleed stop on what is happening. First Republic Bank was given $30 billion by 11 of the largest U.S. banks to prevent its own insolvency. The two-year yield finished the week recently at almost 4% after being 5% plus the prior week. People are looking for safe places to put their money. Announcements that over $160 billion in lending from the Federal Reserve through the discount window and the new bank term funding program was needed shows that confidence is waning. The European Central Bank raised its rates. The U.S. housing market starts and building permits are changing. This is giving a boost to current and future home construction aspirations. U.K. unemployment remains extremely low. So does the U.S. unemployment rate. Why? Because people have to work two jobs 
to be able to pay their rent. Likewise, U.S. jobless claims saw their largest weekly decline since July of 2022. U.S. core CPI comes in as expected. This has spurred hopes that future CPI prints are going to follow suit. U.S. retail sales are down. People are buying less, but they're getting charged more. Eurozone core inflation year over year increase, suggesting that the ECB still has a fight on their hands. This is uh, despite concerns that there is trouble brewing everywhere. Mid-sized banks have asked the FDIC to ensure every single deposit for a two-year period. The coalition of banks proposing this idea includes 110 with some above $100 billion in assets. They're led by MBCA, the same group that lobbied against restrictions on small banks in the Dodd-Frank Act. This is a change that is going to have severe and years-long reverberations throughout the world. Gold and Bitcoin prices are benefiting right now from flights to other banking institutions and other uh, ways of storing your money in the midst of volatile banking sector changes. Bitcoin surged recently, gold rose. This is where people are going to be putting their money, at least temporarily. Now we know how bad things really are. Silicon Valley Bank, the UK handed out over $18 million, uh, in the UK handed out over $18 million in executive bonuses. This was days after the H uh, HSBC rescue came in. These were not regularly scheduled. Basically they said, oh, we're getting bailed out. Well, let's just give millions and millions of dollars of bonuses to our corporate leaders who have obviously done nothing right because we're in solvent institutions. Uh, largest tech layoffs are happening since November. Meta is letting go of another 20,000 plus. Amazon, 18,000 employees. Google, 12,000 employees. You have places like Microsoft with 10,000 employees dropped. Salesforce, 8,000 employees. 75% of the employees at Twitter. Zillow is seeing a drop of about one quarter of all of its employees. Airbnb, another quarter. Coinbase, almost 20% of its employees. Lyft, you're seeing about 20% of their employees drop. Zoom, 15%. As of today, we have officially seen 300 plus thousand people laid off just in the tech industry since the year 2023 first started. Remember, the Federal Reserve is doing everything that they can right now to make you unemployed. Because if you're unemployed, you can't go to the store and buy uh, General Mills inflated price cereal, or at least you can't buy as much of it. And then General Mills would be forced to say, you know what, maybe we're charging too much. We have to lower our quality and lower our price. But they don't understand that this is part of a cycle. It's a de-evolution of our modern way of life. It is the end of the world as we knew it back in 2019, because your expectation of quality at the store or in a service is absolutely meaningless now. You're not going to get quality anymore. And what they're going to do is they've raised the prices and kept the same quality at lower quantity. And in the future, they're going to say, you know what, we need to sell more, we need to make more profit. But obviously, not enough people have the money to be able to afford our inflated, corrupt prices. So they're going to bring the prices down, plus the quality down even lower, plus the quantity down even lower. So you're going to be going and purchasing a product that is not worth as much. It doesn't have as much value. There's quality as absolute rubbish. And that's their game plan. 
Morgan Stanley's Michael Wilson has said that the stress in the banking system marks what is likely to be the beginning of a vicious and painful end to the U.S. stocks bear market. The largest U.S. banking failures adjusted for inflation sees Washington Mutual at $434 billion, 2008, Silicon Valley, $209 billion, 2023, Signature Bank, $110 billion, 2023, Continental, Continental of Illinois, $107 billion, 1984, First Republic, 1998, $84 billion, American Savings, 1998, $78 billion. As you can see, this is a repeated cycle that we are going to witness again and again until all of your money is gone. Because when you go and you put your paycheck into the bank, what you're doing is making a loan to the bank that you have no guarantee of getting back. You're giving them your money so that they can go play in the stock market with it and gamble with it. This is where corruption has absolutely led to our destruction. I want you to see the duality at play here. The look here and then look there that they are using in the official dome to keep citizens of the country and citizens of the world confused. This is the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She has said, quote, we are not considering insuring all uninsured bank deposits. And then the Federal Reserve Chairperson Jerome Powell at the exact same day said depositors should assume that their deposits are safe. They're lying and misdirecting so that you keep doing what you're supposed to do. In the last week, uh, two weeks now, the Federal Reserve announced that they are increasing the frequency of standing USD swap lines from once per week to daily. This allows the involved central banks to borrow dollars, purchase dollars, in return for offering their own currency at an agreed exchange rate. Central banks are starting to use these swaps, lends to do uh, lending dollars to financial institutions within their own country. At an agreed date, the two central banks will then re-exchange their currencies alongside with their interest, reversing the currency swap. Now, when you look back in history, these swaps used to occur once per week. An increase of this kind is done occasionally, not often, to increase availability of liquidity to failing or faltering financial institutions. This has only happened twice before, first during the 2008 financial crisis and then during COVID. They know that the end is near. We're seeing one out of 30 globally systemically important banks watching them just absolutely fall apart. Now, right now, we have a lot of people asking us every day, Brad, if I put my money in something like a Regions or something like a uh, Chase, is my money safe there? Well, the problem is nobody knows. We're just seeing the end of confidence from a citizen, from a public level in the economic institutions. And we're seeing an end of confidence in the wealthy and elite and the powerful's capabilities to keep this can being kicked down the road. Now, when we do finally see a massive explosion, I'm not talking about just the rich losing some of their money. I'm talking about everybody witnessing a massive collapse of the entire institution. Look at what's happening in Venezuela. I watch videos of people just, they laugh at the Venezuelan currency. You see pictures of their local currency, which used to be their dollar, used to be worth something to them, now littered worthlessly on the street because it takes so many of their local currency to exchange against something like a United States dollar. And so instead, you have people in that country exchanging their goods 
for other currencies that are worth something. We see a lot of barter and trade happen there. We see a lot of people uh, you know, working together in a community. And this is because they know that they have to do something because their economy officially failed. Now, when your economy fails here in America, what are you prepared to do? If you want to see corruption at its base, while the banks knew that they were about to be taken over and sold for pennies on the dollar, and that many of the deposits, actually upwards of 90%, would be insured, uh, uninsured by the government, Silicon Valley Bank made loans to bank officers. They put loans out to directors, principal shareholders, as well as other insiders, more than tripled to $219 million in the final moments of that bank. That's a record amount of loans that were issued by the bank to insiders, a record that went back at least 20 years. There is just so much happening in our economy that you have to look and see beyond. You have to see the forest beyond the trees. And I just hope that you and your family are getting ready for a moment in time where you might lose your social security, your disability, your state welfare program, your job, your side hustle, whatever it might be. There is nothing that is guaranteed anymore. And because of that, preparedness is absolutely vital. I want to get to a viewer question here. The first question is going to come to us from uh, NDCY Gator Summer. Brad, I wholly agree. Always have a plan to escape any place that you might be. Even better, have many, multiple get out of Dodge plans. Question, are you, and I'm going to pose this question to the community, prepared, I'll note here, as a last resort against impending violence done toward your family, prepared to use violence, if necessary, to escape a disaster situation. NDCY says that's called being a warrior. Only use violence when a life is being threatened. But yes, protecting yourself and your loved ones at all costs. So what do you guys think? Are, are you considering those types of plans or are you hoping that everybody uh, you know, plays nice while their family members starve? Let me know down in the comments, please. Leave a comment on today's video. Please leave a thumbs up. It really helps us, even though it takes nothing from you guys. Let us know what you want to uh, talk about in the community by asking your questions, and then other people can go in and answer them. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by each one of you, all of our members on Patreon. Make sure that you check out contingencymedical.com and use the code FSS10 for a discount on real antibiotics.